Well, Happy New Year, and welcome to 2022. Let's hope this year is a lot better than 2021. I know we had a muted Christmas yet again. We didn't get the chance to spend as much time with friends and family as we would have liked. The Omicron variant has proven to be highly infectious, and a lot of people caught COVID during the holidays. I happen to know four people personally who contracted COVID. I've spoken to them all. Their symptoms are mild, more like a flu. So hopefully we're approaching what the experts call the endemic level of the pandemic, and we can get back to some semblance of normality, whatever that looks like. Well, welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Worth, and I'm your host, Blake Melnick. This episode is the official passing of the jam from our current artist in residence, Blair Packham, to the next artist, the amazing Heather Gemmel. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Long-Haired Country Girl, For What It's Worth. So our current holder of the jam, Blair Packham, is on the other line, and I'm going to turn the interview over to him to ask you some questions about your songwriting, your motivations, and anything else Blair wants to talk about that he thinks is important, and then I'll jump back in towards the end of the interview. Thank you. Thanks so much. Heather, you're a fascinating individual. <laughs> thank you. You too. I enjoyed, I enjoyed your podcasts as well. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. That's, that's great. There's just so much going on with you. You know, I sing and play guitar. And I do a couple other things, but I like pretty much that's it. I mean, I don't play piano on live or anything like that, but you know, all the instruments you play, you're an entertainer. I find what you do so fascinating because it's kind of what I want to do, but I don't really know how. So <laughs> I'm curious, where did the, the impetus to learn all those different instruments? Like, is it just one at a time? Is it sequential? Uh, it was one at a time for sure. Yeah. But I don't know, you never stop learning. So I guess it's a sequential. <laughs> I, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe I did stop learning for a while, but I have this fascination with, with picking up other instruments and, and, and the instruments that you play, I find really fascinating, particularly, and I know you said you had trouble with it, but the pedal steel. Uh, oh yeah. You'll yeah. never run out of work if you're a proficient <laughs> pedal steel player. Well, I guess that's true. How many pedals does yours have? I mine has the three, three pedals and four knee levers, and then you got your two hands. And then, it's, yeah. it's a single yeah. neck too. The single neck, yeah. So I was playing in the E tuning. Wow. And and do you have a volume pedal that you're working as well? Yeah, I'd use a good, a good rich volume pedal with the other foot. I, I just think it's important for the audience to understand that that you're working three three pedals, each of which changes the pitch of an individual string. Yeah. You're also fading the song, like the, the sound in and out with the volume pedal while you're moving the bar around on, with your left hand and your right hand, you're picking. Yeah. And, and on the knee levers. The knee levers. The knee <laughs> levers also, and then pick blocking with those same picks because you can't just strum it. You have yeah. to pick individual notes and certain combinations of notes, and then you have to stop the sounds of those notes fairly quickly, especially the individual ones. So as soon as you pick up one one pick, you got to put the other pick down to stop the ringing of that note. It's the octopus of musical instruments, I call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And for uh, non-musicians, I'm not sure pedal steel players get a lot of respect because the audience don't really know. They don't know how involved it is. I know, yeah. And they're always sitting in the back. Yeah. They're just quietly with their head down. They're playing their tunes and it's all over the radio and people don't know they just get used to that sound in country radio. They associate that sound with country music, but they don't necessarily know how it's being produced. They're definitely the underrated stars of 
of country music, I think. Yeah, I, I have a pedal steel player friend who said that he's lost count of the number of times people have come up to him and said, what kind of keyboard is that that you're playing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is sort of amazing. So I'm filled with admiration for all that you do. I'm also curious about if you ever use, and you may have said this, if you ever use electronic foot pedals at all, I know you're talking about your kitchen cabinetry and so forth, but do you ever use those, those uh, stomp boxes? They're like guitar effects, but they make a bass drum sound. Funny you mentioned that because I had just gotten the new Boss OC5. So that's an octave simulator. So being solo, you lose a lot of that low frequency if you're all by yourself. So I just got this new pedal. I haven't even really had a chance to use it because I was kind of late in my pregnancy when I got it. But uh, yeah, I'm lending it to a friend right now. And it'll pick up your lowest frequency of the chord that you're playing. It's got a few different modes or single notes and then give you the octave below and the octave above if you desire and the double octave below so i'm going to be messing around with that it sounds the best when you have a sub with you but yeah i've got a pedal board here that i i use the the loop station and then i try to keep it fairly simple when i'm playing my old-timey sounding stuff but when i play with with rock music I'll try to give myself a bit more to play along to because the best part about playing lap steel is the, the lead breaks or the instrumental solos, you know what I mean? So I, I play with a loop station and that gives me my background effects and background vocals too. So Oh, wow. You do all that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll do like a yeah. loop with three-part harmony and then kick it in and out. And I yeah. this new yeah. loop station I got now, you can have an a section and a b section so it's not just the same loop you got to be really coordinated though because when you screw up your loop station in front of people it's really apparent so you got to take your time and practice all the bells and whistles on these units before you take it out on stage but yeah you can get a a section meaning like a a, a verse and yeah. you can also have a looped chorus which makes it even more interesting. I actually was very interested in that as well but I was also really talking about those foot pedals that make the sort of kick drum sound Oh, tap on them, but they make a boom sort of sound. So I was dabbling. I borrowed one of those uh, stomp box that's actually you stomp on a pad and it's got a a pickup inside it. I made one too out of an old guitar pickup I had. I put it in a cigar box and then put the piezo pickup strip underneath and taped it as tight as I could. So when I stomped on it, it sounded kind of terrible to tell you the truth, but I played (laughs) with those too. And I find the live percussion to be the best because you can play it without having them microphoned. I play at this ranch once a week as well. I don't bring any electronic devices. I just bring my cajones. And then I've got the pedals that slam into the cajon wood and it amplifies itself. So if I had just one of those stomp boxes, I'd have to plug it in somewhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of beautiful just playing acoustically. I did a bunch of that this past summer and the summer before because of COVID, playing in the park. Nowhere to plug in in the park. But, but with me, I'm just playing my acoustic guitar and singing, so it's not as It's a light load. I find the idea of all your the stuff that you're doing, it's kind of mind-boggling, and I think maybe my brain has atrophied or something like that. <laughs> I, I'm curious about, you said you started out, the first two songs you learned to play were Behind Blue Eyes, uh, the Who song, and uh, maybe a Green Day or something. song. I'm curious where the love of Roots music uh, came from, or what... Not the love of it, because I guess it was being around your family, but but what led you to playing that rather than just like being in a rock band, like a cover band or something? Yeah, it was it was that bluegrass camp thing I was telling you about. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. once I was exposed to that and then also 
I would go to a ton of different live music events back when I was a little bit more free in life and had money to burn. I'd go to Calgary and go to Calgary Folk Festival or go to the Jubilee or whatever. I'd go to Roots and Blues Festival and I'd learn about a ton of different artists, not really, really famous artists, but kind of the underground emerging artists through those music festivals. That's what led me to the band Mandolin Orange, who are actually called Watch House now. And they're a really big inspiration for me songwriting wise, but it was Bluegrass Camp that got me exposed to that type of music. And then Old Time came after that, but that's what got me more into the roots kind of music. And then the blend of Southern rock, like I love the Almond Brothers and Warren Haynes and Government Mule and stuff like that. And that blending, I keep my blues a lot with certain songs in my set list and try to group them together. And then I have the old time and kind of the, I wouldn't even call it bluegrass. I don't play bluegrass. I play in bluegrass jams with people whenever I have an opportunity. But yeah, I'd call it roots, like you said, roots and folk. Because of all the stuff that enters into your music, it's sort of, it's like, and bluegrass people can be pretty purist, I think. They can. Yeah, you're right. They can be, they can be a little bit purist in their jam circles. And that's one of the things I actually don't like about it is there's so many rules, a lot of rules with (laughs) bluegrass playing, I find. Yeah. And I definitely venture outside the rules. I haven't been to that camp in a few years because of COVID, but I really want to go back to it, but you got to get used to their rules. You got to conform a bit. I've heard that about blues people, certain blues people as well. I I have a a friend who plays uh, blues guitar and he's really fantastic, but he likes to stretch out and try different things. And he used to talk about, and surely it's an offensive term now, but he used to call them blues Nazis, which when you think about it, I guess it isn't that offensive because it is, they are Nazis after all. I would think that your genre bending approach to things would probably leave some people scratching their heads while other people I would think would just love it. When genres collide, it's, it's when stuff gets interesting as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, like if I'm playing at a, a bar or restaurant or something like that, and I've got four hours of material and there's only so much time in a in a set and say it's coming towards the end of the night, I'm like, what do you guys want to hear? Do you want me to play some banjo or do you want to hear some blues or do you want to hear this or that? And I'll just kind of play what people shout out. And actually this year I started doing live learning because, you know, with the internet and stuff like that, it's at our fingertips at all times. And I feel yeah. pretty comfortable f- scrolling along like the ultimate guitar tabs app has the scroll function. So if I have the right audience, I'll be like, you know, if you guys have any requests, you've heard enough of me to know what would sound good. You shout it out, but you got to help me sing along and I'll live learn. I was live learning songs on the fly just because I had my phone there. So I had a cheat sheet. So as long as it's a top 40 song, I've had to have heard it before. And that's my only rule. I've had to have heard it before and I'll give it a whirl. But that's also fun too. That would be really fun. Your brain, I would call that having big ears. Yeah. yeah, That'd be so great. That's the cover world. We used to have a venue here in Kimberly where it was a singer songwriter venue where you'd play and everybody stayed quiet and you'd be singing your own songs and people would be really listening to the lyrics. And then there's the other gigs where you're playing covers so people can sing along to songs they know and just have a good time and eat their food and drink their beer. I like both, but I wish there was a little bit more of the singer songwriter venue here. In Kimberly, right. yeah. I'm in Toronto and there is that. And I don't yeah. actually have the luxury of not really having to do the cover thing, not having to do it, but I don't, and I've never really done it. So playing the singer songwriter thing where people are paying attention is a beautiful thing. Although those worlds do sometimes cross over. I'm playing a regular gig right now and it's in a little venue and people will come and sit right. And I, I don't understand this and maybe you can commiserate with me. People will come and sit right in front of you or in front of me in this case 
but then talk and have conversations. But there are other seats in the bar and I don't mind if they talk as, if, as long as they're not right in front of me because I sort of feel like that seat could be taken up by somebody who actually wants to hear the music, you know? Exactly. That's super awkward. I've been in the same scenario too. They just don't understand, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think that is yeah. what it is. They I think they're just it. not used to going to hear music where you actually are listening. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little frustrating. I'm, I'm curious about your songwriting. There's the songs that Blake asked you about anyway, they seem to be all autobiographical. Is that a, a thing with, with your writing or is that just the ones he happened to pick? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Um, thinking about it, quite a bit of them are autobiographical now these days. But at least this album is going to be kind of a concept album. They all kind of blend into each other. Yeah, they're definitely all autobiographical. That makes me wonder about it because you've written a few murder ballads. Yeah. If, if, how autobiographical those are and so, if you should call the cops. Yeah, yeah. there's a murder ballad in there that I'll, I'll be recording called Kill Him Twice. And it may not be about a real murder but it was about a real emotion that definitely happened and i just turned it into something fun and silly and that's how a song came out but quite a bit of them are like say smoky mountain blues like i wasn't actually on evacuation order my town wasn't burning down but i was trying to relate to somebody that was you know what i mean right well yeah, yeah i would say that's not necessarily autobiographically you're imagining you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes i think that's a thing to do for sure yeah i love story songs i've been writing a lot of story songs because that's been what my writing technique has been since i left the blues kind of writing i really want to once i get this album done i want to write some bluesy songs again i just want to stay focused and not get into writing i'm taking a break from that so i can just focus on recording this winter and really does take focus to get get stuff like that then i'm i i lack focus so I, I admire your drive and your focus i'm curious do you know a couple of ontario-based artists that i know susie binnick Oh, that sounds familiar, actually, but not off the top of my head. No, I figure that you guys would get along like a house on fire. She plays a few different instruments. She writes. I mean, she's mostly in the blues genre, but she's yeah. a, a quite a sophisticated writer in other genres as well. She sings like a bird and she plays beautifully. And she's got into music in a similar sort of way, you know, around her family. And she played covers initially and she played bass in a band and stuff. But anyway, I think you get on like a house on fire. So if you get a chance to check her out, Susie Binnick. Yeah. And uh, the other one is Paul Reddick. They both end with ick sounds. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Paul Reddick had a band called The Sidemen and he writes contemporary lyrics but they're placed to songs that could easily have been recorded in the the 30s or 40s acoustic stuff but also when blues went electric you know that kind of thing but the lyrics are seriously poetic like in a way that you just don't hear in blues generally so he's worth checking out sometimes cool i, yeah. I think as a songwriter you'd appreciate it we'll share some links yeah yeah that's yeah. great I need to ask you on behalf of the audience because people always ask me this and even though i think it's a tedious question sometimes they want to know do you come up with music or lyrics first? Oh, well, that's changed over the years. Before it was, I would need the guitar riff to get me going. But over the years, once my guitar playing skills or banjo or whatever, my music skills furthered, I, I could do lyrics to a melody out loud. I would never just write lyrics. I'd have to have a, a melody. So a melody first with lyrics, I can then put to a key put to a instrument after and that's generally more time efficient because then you don't have to be sitting down with your guitar 
to write a song. As long as I have time to myself or I'm out on a walk or I'm working, I could be running a chainsaw and still be thinking about a song in my head, so to speak, as long as I'm focused on what I'm doing. I could do lyrics and melody first, then then put it to music. Right. Yeah, that tends to be my way as well. Usually it's because there's something I want to say. There's something mm-hmm. that, that is sort of pissed me off or or makes me happy or whatever. And I, there's a phrase that maybe encapsulates it. So I might start with a lyric and and then find music for it. Or sometimes I, I come up with both at the same time, which is to me always kind of a little miracle. Like yeah. driving in the car, just riding along and suddenly there's a tune and some words that come along with it. And then I just sort of have to amplify it from there. Yeah, I got to get it down though. Got to get it on voice memo on my yeah. phone or something because it'll be gone in yeah. a few minutes. <laughs> have you ever tried that music memos app? I think it's Apple. You sing into it and it'll put drums and bass behind it. Really? No. Yeah. Uh, and it's usually wrong. But it's, it's usually hilarious. Yeah. But sometimes it's interesting. It'll kind of chart it out as well. If you play acoustic guitar into it, it'll say you're playing a G minor. You might not be, but it'll right. say that you are and then there'll be a bass playing the root note behind it, which is kind of freaky. Some, when it works out, it's totally freaky. No way. I'll try that. Yeah. What's it's, it it's, called again? I think it's Music Memos. Music memos. I'll yeah. check it out. There's yeah. so it's, many cool apps out there. Yeah, there really are. Okay. Final question. I'm just curious if you know Sean Vareau uh, from um, Wide Mouth Mason. Is he the, the, the like the lead singer, blonde? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know him, but I remember being introduced to other than Big Shiny Tunes too, but being introduced to Wide Mouth Mason because he was on tour for quite a while with Gordy Johnson of Big yeah. Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And I fell in love with that front man for sure. And, and some old Wide Mouth Mason songs, but I'm a huge Big Sugar fan. So Gordy Johnson and Big Sugar, he's been a little bit more active right now, at least online. But yeah, that's how I seen that guy was with Gordy Johnson. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, Sean is doing this thing with Lapsteel where he plays with three, he calls it tri-slide. He's actually oh. on Instagram and he has three slides one, really? you know, one, one on each of three fingers. And yeah, uh-huh. you got to check it out. It's on Instagram. He has little clips of him playing with three slides. He's pretty virtuosic. You know, it's really it's worth check checking out. out. Yeah, I, I was figuring somebody like you would be intrigued by that. Yeah, lap steel too. Hey, I'm. I'm. Yeah. My next thing, if I'm gonna learn anything new, it'll be bottleneck style. Because if I'm a lap steel player and I don't play bottleneck, then uh, yeah. So I'm gonna try to get that under my belt before I die. But if he's playing yeah. with three slides, he'll have to have them on like bottleneck style. He won't be holding a slide bar. Yeah, yet. their bottlenecks are, yeah. are on his fingers rather than in his hand. Yeah. I'll have to definitely check that out. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, cool. That's great. It's been really great talking to you. Great hearing your music as well. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah, uh, you and too. I, and I'm a big admirer too, though, because your work ethic and uh, your dedication to music, it's very inspiring for me. Oh, well, thank you. As you guys were chatting away, I did have a chance to look up this music memo, and it was from Apple. You're correct, Blair, but it looks like it's going to be discontinued. As of March of 2021, you no longer can download that app. Well, maybe, Heather, if I can find some of my more hilarious memos, I'll send you one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure someone will come up with some sort of some sort replacement. Of replacement. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. no doubt. No doubt. It was great talking with you as well, Blair. Thank you. Yeah. And Blair, again, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having you on the show, both as a guest and as my co-host. I really appreciate your generosity and good-natured personality. And of course, we love your music. I wish you much success with your new record, Song Food, and we'll continue to follow your career. And hopefully we'll get you back again on the show in the very near future. I'd love that. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And Heather, 
Great to talk to you. I'm glad everything went well. You look fabulous. Congratulations on your new baby boy. And uh, thanks again for participating in this interview. You will be the holder of the jam for the next month or so. Cool. Well, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. This uh, has been great. It's great for me. Yeah. Great for our audience. It's wonderful to have some new music and to get you guys some exposure. You're both very, very talented. And we need to get that music out there. Yeah. Yes, we do. This concludes our two-part episode called Long-Haired Country Girl with my guest, Heather Gemmel, our next artist in residence, and my co-host, Blair Packham, who has helped pass the jam to Heather. We'll be playing Heather's tracks for the next month or so on the show for all the intros and outros, so I hope you enjoy those. Make sure you check out our blog for more information about Heather, and it's for whatitsworthpodcast.com. Again, for what it's worth, podcast.com. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with the launch of our new series called In the Company of Readers and Writers, where my first guest will be singer-songwriter Douglas Cameron. Make sure you check out The Old Guitar for what it's worth. <laughs>